morning to those of you who are shipping us with us online as well. I think by now most of us should have heard of the revival that happened recently in Ashbury University in uh, Kentucky. Right? It started on the 8th of February when a group of undergrads they stayed back after a regular chapel service to worship and to pray. And unknown to them, this carried on eventually for hours and even days until uh, even a secular news network they picked up on the news and then as many as 50,000 people joined in over the next two weeks. These were some of the stats that came out from this recent event. Much has been said about this Asbury revival on social media. I just want to highlight three dimensions. First of all, this revival, while there were healing miracles, and oftentimes when God revives the church and pours off his spirit, surely there will be healing miracles. But this revival was characteristic uh, in the sense of being calm. A lot of people describe the revival not as being chaotic, but calm. So that tells us that actually God is an infinitely creative God. We don't always box Him in a certain way He works, but certainly a new dimension. Secondly, this revival has no big names, as this Christianity Today article shows us. No big names, no superstars, just groups of ordinary people praying and leading uh, in worship as the Holy Spirit leads. And the term that was often used uh, by people were radical Humility, that's the term. Radical humility, there were no superstars, everybody just prayed in a secret room and the Lord will guide them who will lead worship for the next few hours or days and so they will just lead, uh, move as the Holy Spirit led them. Now this revival is led by the young, for the young. At some point, the university only allowed 26 years old and below to join in the physical meeting in the chapel and eventually only allowed uh, their own university students because they eventually discerned that this younger generation needed to encounter God for themselves in their own unique way and space. Baldwin, the vice president of the student life, said this, We want to be true to how the Holy Spirit showed up with our students. We experienced joy, we experienced love, we experienced peace. There were lots of singing and testimonies. Those became our signposts. So this is how in front of our eyes we are seeing the Holy Spirit come upon our students and we want to honour that. Some later on pointed out that the revival is additionally significant because of its spread on social media, particularly among the Gen Z, the most irreligious generation in US history. By 15 of Feb, the hashtag Ashbury Revival had 24 million views on TikTok. If you don't know what's TikTok, you ask the younger people seated around you. And by 18 of February, 63 million people uh, viewed it. And of course, this belongs to the younger generation. It's a tool that the younger generation use. Uh, more than the older generations. And so uh, we see how God moved powerfully among the younger generation, those of us who had encountered God before in previous generation, maybe in the 1970s, the charismatic revival here in Singapore, the Billy Graham Crusades. But for the younger generation, it's not something they grew up with. And so God encountered them in their own unique and special way. But what I want to highlight really is what went on behind the scenes before this revival broke out. According to insiders, the students had always been praying and interceding whenever they were preparing for chapel services. In other words, they had expressed this desire for God long before the revival even broke out. And that's really the main point. We only, you know, drawn into the big things that are happening, but actually there were groups of people always regularly interceding and praying before the revival actually took place. And so that's really the focus really for our sermon and our meditation today hunger for God, to express desire and hunger for God and the gospel. And then whether revival comes or not, it's God's prerogative. We just pray in hunger where God has given to us this desire and calling 
for this season. So if you're following along with our Mission with the Master campaign, this week we are looking at rewiring ourselves. That's chapter 2 of the book. I want to focus particularly on fasting. The spiritual discipline of fasting as a very tangible, practical expression of our hunger for God and the gospel. To help us with that, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So quick commentary here. We already covered this a little bit in the sermon, God as Judge. So Paul is saying, yes, because Christ has fulfilled the law, I no longer submit myself to the Old Testament laws in the way of going through all the rituals and stuff. So he's no longer under the law like the Jews, but yet he chooses to be like the Jews. So for example, maybe when he eats at the Jews, he doesn't eat uh, you know, pork, for example. That's kosher laws. So that's why he says, to the, those under the law, I became like one under the law, even though I'm not under the law. And then he goes on, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So does it mean that he's free to do anything he wants? He says, no, I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So he still recognizes, as I preach my sermon, at God as judge, we're not saying being lawless. That's antinomianism. That's not what we are saying. Paul understands it as well. There is still the kingdom law, the law of God's love. But he says, yes, I'm under God's love, God's law, but because the Gentiles don't have the law like the Jews, I will not impose the Jewish laws on them. But I want to go be like them so as to win those not having the law. And here's the main point to the weak. I became weak to win the weak. Because from the Jewish point of view, the Gentiles are weak. They are strong. He's saying, look, I have chosen to become weak, so become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in his blessings. So we'll come back to this context later on and talk about the first reason why we fast. Let's move on, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. And he's wasting time, right? Not No real training. No, he says, verse 27, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. This is the word of God. Come, let us pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you once again to reveal your truths to us. Importantly, we pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, our bodies, and our spirits and help us to obey and apply the words that we will hear this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we want to talk about fasting is the reason why we want to fast. There are many reasons why we fast. And most of us, if we fast, it's usually because we are longing for a spiritual breakthrough, right? or certain answer to our prayers. But today I want to present three other reasons, especially from the First Corinthians chapter 9 passage, why we ought to fast and pray. And the first reason, as I mentioned briefly just now, that Paul is fundamentally motivated by the need to preach the gospel. And so the first and most important reason we pray is not for our own sake, but for the sake of others' salvation. Fasting for the salvation of others. 
If we capture Paul's heart of mission, that is what drove him to discipline his body is for the salvation of others. Yes, there's a place for fasting to express our devotion to God. You know, there's a place to, you know, benefits of fasting. But fasting for the sake of preaching the gospel is really a completely different paradigm. And it's something I want to offer to all of us this morning. Question for reflection. To what extent will you go in order to preach the gospel and participate in God's mission? Have you ever considered that it begins by prayer and fasting? That's the first way we can all participate in God's mission. Are we hungry enough and truly passionate to seek and save the lost? Let's start where we are, by choosing to be hungry for the gospel, literally and metaphorically. So last week, we spoke about how ACS, uh, Anglo Chinese School, is going to Tengah, not so convenient location. I also showed you how Methodist Mission Society, MMS, planted St. Paul Methodist School in a rural community in uh, Timor-Leste, not near the city centre. And both of these decisions basically express a level of self-denial in order to fulfil the mission. And that's fasting, really, right? It's also self-denial. But the reason why we do it is for the mission. So that should drive us uh, this year as uh, we go into mission with the Master. I time it in such a way. Normally, our church-wide study is always starting in January. But this year, I time it to be in, in sync with Lent season because the Lent season is typically when Christians are supposed to reflect, right, to repent and to fast anyway. But I thought I want dovetail the two together how land season and the mission dimension actually goes together. So in this land season, mission is the master. We participate, first of all, in God's mission by choosing the spiritual discipline of fasting. For some, it may be a completely new discipline. You've never heard about it before. For others, it may be a discipline you used to do. But I hope in this season, whether you're new or you know familiar with discipline, let's try to do this spiritual discipline together as a church to be literally as well as metaphorically hungry for the poor, for the lost rather for the salvation of the lost. That's the first reason I want to offer to us why we fast. Second, we want to fast for the sake of submission. What do I mean by that? What kind of submission are you talking about, Pastor? Listen to what Apostle Paul writes. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So the focus, the determination is there, not just to complete the race, but to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. So Apostle Paul uses a very simple illustration, and we all can identify with it. All who enter a race as runners, they will go into strict training to run uh, in order to win the prize. Can you imagine a marathon runner every day sitting at the couch eating potato chips, drinking Coke? Will he ever win or she ever win? Obviously not. Or can you imagine a 100-meter dash uh, runner, right? But never goes to the gym, does not do weights. Do you think this person will ever win the prize? Very unlikely. And of course, if you ask all successful athletes, they will tell you it's strict training which includes proper dieting. Very strict diet. They will control their diet in order to function at the highest level to win the prize. And so likewise, Paul uses this simple illustration for the goal of preaching the gospel. He says, I will go into strict training, discipline my body even, but not to win the prize that will fade away, even Olympic gold medal. How long will it last forever? No, right? 
but for the goal of bringing the price that Christ Jesus will give him, the crown that will last forever, he goes into strict training. What did Paul mean by striking a blow to his body? Did he self-mutilate or whip himself? I highly doubt it because that would dishonor the body, right? the temple of God that Paul talks about also in 1 Corinthians. Instead, I think I want to suggest today that fasting is a very simple way to afflict our bodies without severe bodily harm. So I'm not saying you can do anything to your, health, to your body right, in a harmful way. That's not what I'm talking about. But rather, fasting is a practical way, a simple way of training our bodies without causing harm to our bodies. And the word that I'm using today is submission. Paul actually uses a much stronger word, enslave, to make his body his slave. Uh, for us, submission is the same idea. So what does Paul mean by making his body his slave? How do we understand you know, what it means to submit for the sake of submission? So to understand this concept, I need to teach a little bit on how God originally designed us and then how sin came into the picture and twisted the original design order. So when God first created us, when God formed Adam from dust, he breathed his spirit into him and Adam became a living being. And so the spirit dimension is what connects us with God and that should be the proper order. The spiritual part of us will tell our bodies right, what to do. So the soul is the, uh, the spirit is invisible. The body is obviously physical. The soul is in between, the interface between the invisible and the, vis- and the phys- physical, the visible. And so that soul contains our mind, our emotions, our will. And so this is the right order. The spirit is supposed to tell the soul and the body what to do. But when sin entered our world, entered our lives, things were twisted and became completely turned upside down. The next picture will show you. So instead of having our spirits lead our bodies because our spirits are dead to God, we allow our bodies to become the masters. And many people live only to satisfy their sinful cravings and desires. And that is what we were all to before we came to know the Lord. That is how we live. Our bodily carnal functions, that's what's most important and everything else we downplay. And so that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul is not gloating over others who are sinners. He says, no, I'm telling you with tears. His heart longs for the lost. Many live as enemies of Christ. Why? Because their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. (laughs) And their glory is in their shame. They boast of things that are actually shameful. Their mind is set on earthly things. So Paul is describing the unsaved, unsanctified state of human beings who are sinners. But now we are new creation. We are born again, or more accurately, born from on high, born from above. So where do we stay ourselves? We used to live in sinful ways where the body is master, but we are supposed to live where the spirit obeys God, submits to God, and the body is in submission. The problem is we have been so used or, you know, to living, to, sub, to give in to the demands of our body. Think of the times when you are hungry. What do you do? Immediately go to the cupboard, grab something. Nowadays, order, grab food. We usually give in to our desires almost immediately whenever we are hungry. And when we are greedy, it's even worse. <laughs> we eat more than we, we should. Think of all the buffets, buffets that you go to. We eat more than we should. But now that we have become Christians, we need to reorder our lives. Christ is our master. He's the only master. So we need to reorder our lives so that our bodies are not our masters, 
but you will fall under the original design, God as master and our spirit, soul and then our bodies. So fasting really is the simplest way we curb our body's most natural and even legitimate desire. God knows we need to eat, otherwise we will die, correct? But at the same time, we cannot always give in to our body's needs and desires. So I'm not saying that we should eat, uh, not eat forever uh, because that will cause your death. I don't want to cause anybody to die after this sermon. And that's not honoring the temple of God as well. But at the same time, we need to see the value of fasting as a spiritual discipline to show our bodies who really is the boss. <laughs> I'm not your boss. God is the master and we need to teach our bodies that he is our master. Even Apostle Paul, he made it very clear, and this is Apostle Paul, at his highest level already among all the Christians, he says he makes his body his slave. Why? So that he may continue to preach the gospel and not be disqualified himself. And if Apostle Paul is setting for us this example, all the more, all of us should join in this spiritual discipline. For info as well, John Wesley made fasting a regular spiritual habit, not just limited to Lent season, but I just want to get us started, focused, Maybe not for your whole life, maybe too big a step, but for this Lent season, can we consider some kind of fasting? I'll talk about the practical dimensions later on. Now, John Wesley was heavily influenced by William Law and his book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. This is what William Law wrote when it came to understanding our bodies. He says, As to your bodies, you are to consider them as poor, perishing things that are sickly and corrupt at present and will soon drop into common dust. You are to watch over them as enemies. <laughs> enemies that are always trying to tempt and betray you. Sounds familiar? We identify with it, right? And so never follow their advice and counsel. You are to consider them as the place, however, on the other hand, as place and habitation of your souls. So keep them pure, clean, and decent. You are to consider them as the servants and instruments of action. And so give them food, rest, and clothing that they may be strong and helpful to have do the duties of a charitable, useful, pious life. So this is where we need to understand the proper place of the body. It is not to be your master, but at the same time, you don't you treat it so that you are not healthy at all to do God's work. Keep it in its proper place. Everything in life has a proper place. As long as it's in its proper place, it will serve the, uh, the kingdom of God and God's will. So that we want to place the body in its right place, not as master, but as servant, but not you treating the, the servant, but taking good care of it, sufficiently good, so they can serve God. So fasting really teaches our bodies to submit. Why? Because you will keep thinking, oh, I'm hungry, I need to eat. But at the same time, you are praying, God, help me to control my flesh. It will silence, in fact, our flesh. That's really the goal of fasting, to learn to silence our flesh. Of course, this is much easier said than done, right? Obviously. And many of you know I'm quite a foodie. If you bring me to a certain place, I can tell you where are the good food <laughs> or the good stores around as well. So some people eat to live, others live to eat. <laughs> Which category are you in? But whether you find yourself in whichever category, I think it's important. We all need to learn this spiritual discipline of self-denial. Do I still love good food? Of course. Right? But at the same time, I'm learning to deny myself more and more how, even if I'm not really physically fasting, I'm trying to fast in this Lent season at least two to three meals a day. Even if I'm not fasting on that day, I try to eat simpler meals. And then if I'm eating and the meal is not so nice, I deny myself by not complaining. 
So various levels of how to deny ourselves. Very Singaporean, right? Wow, this one not nice, standard drop. No, don't think like that anymore. Change, renew our minds. Let's talk about something practical. In the Bible, actually, there are different kinds of fasts. In the interest of time, I really won't go into all the examples. There's one day, three day, seven day, three week vegetarian, even 40 day fast. There are examples of individual as well as corporate fasting. And so you can find all these examples yourself. But I want to talk about the various ways of fasting, practical handles. The most common understanding that typically people have of fasting is to deprive yourselves completely of food and drink. So you don't eat at all, you don't drink at all. But this is honestly very challenging, extremely challenging, especially if you have not tried fasting before. Uh, so I wouldn't really recommend this if you are trying fasting for the very first time. But of course, if you are very seasoned in the spiritual discipline of fasting, God may want to lead you to do something really by the power of His Holy Spirit, go ahead and try. But for the majority of us, this is not something I would recommend at the start. So that's the highest level. The second, a bit lower, is to fast from food, but continue drinking water. At least slightly more manageable. <laughs> You're not depriving yourself of water as well. But I can tell you, certainly, after a while, for some faster than others, 7 to 8 hours, or after 24 hours, you will feel very weak. I tried once before, a 72-hour fast, completely deprived of, deprived of food. By the third day, I almost died. I couldn't take it, so I had to break my fast to eat something small. My body just almost broke down. So I don't really recommend these two approaches unless you're quite seasoned. right? So, But if you're quite seasoned, go ahead, try, try it. But for those who are new, maybe not. But the thing about fasting is this. Fasting is supposed to make us feel weak. And that's where many people give up. They try a while, oh, I'm very tired. It's correct. <laughs> you are supposed to feel tired. And when you feel tired, that's when you pray and ask the Lord to give you strength and you learn to depend on Him because it teaches us that we are human. We need food and we're reminded that God is the one who provides for us. The whole point of feeling weak is to, emb to embrace voluntary weakness is to train us to depend on God more, to really show our hunger and desire for more of God whether it's revival or more of Him for ourselves or for the salvation of others, whatever it is, is to train ourselves to depend on God more. And that is why Paul also wrote in a, somewhere else, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we are weak, then we can see God's power move. Moving from these two uh, levels, if you think these are too difficult, you can try intermittent fasting. So not eating for 16 hours, usually after dinner all the way until uh, we break fast at lunch. So you get to eat lunch and dinner, but within a 6-hour period or 7-hour period. You can choose also to fast from sunrise to sundown and drink water in between. So this is just another step lower. But again, for all these three fasts, we are fasting physically from food. Please consult your doctors, okay? <laughs> I'm not the medical doctor, so please consult your doctors. Before attempting any of these food fasts, I don't want you to collapse in the street one day and say, Pastor Anthony asked me to fast and I collapse. Send you to A&E. No, okay, please consult your doctors. For these three uh, food fasts, we can modify our diet as well. There's another way. So if your body does not allow you to do a complete food fast, you can modify it. Taking a vegetarian meal. When I say vegetarian, I'm not talking about you know some of the vegetarian cuisines. They are very nice in Singapore. But maybe just eating plain salad without dressing, you know, fruits. These are vegetarian uh, fruit fasts you can try. 
But if the doctor still does not allow even that, can I suggest that a modified food fast by depriving yourself of your indulgences? Do you need to eat ice cream? No need. Nobody dares to shake their head, right? But actually, don't need. Do you need to drink bubble tea every day? Don't need. But any of you drink bubble tea every day, you won't die from not having bubble tea. Right? So these are the modified fasts you can try for yourself. Certainly, you will not die. <laughs> right? But it's important to deny yourself so that whenever you walk past a bubble tea shop next time, you say, no, I will not give in to this craving. I will continue. Just eat a regular, simple lunch. Okay, so these are modified fasts you can try for yourselves. If your medical condition really does not allow you fasting at all, what I think very needful for us in the 21st century is a digital fast. That means not logging on to social media for, 20, for 40 days. Actually, less than 40 days. Uh, now that Lent is already on its way. No Facebook, no Instagram, no Telegram. Wow. No WhatsApp, even higher level. Maybe some of you need it, you know. <laughs> but I think quite hard, uh, you, considering that now a lot of people also use WhatsApp for work and Telegram for work. But certainly you can deprive yourself of certain digital means that indulge yourself. You know, statistics have shown people easily use up to three hours of social media every day. You know, three hours, that's a lot of our time. If we can redeem this time for the Lord, how wonderful it is. Right? So many of us over the years, actually we have been so wired rewired to pick up our cell phones even when no one is calling or messaging. Correct? I'm guilty of this as well. And so recently I learned that it's possible to track how many times you pick up your phone, at least for all of us uh, Apple users. So at least I can, so now I'm very intentional. I want to make sure this number drops. So I'm disciplining my mind. Hey, don't pick up the cell phone whenever you feel like urge to. That's also learning to deny your bodies. The thing is, as we develop habits, our brain will develop neural patterns. And so when we train ourselves in a new spiritual discipline, it's hard, always very hard at the start, but slowly you will develop and train neural patterns. That's the renewing of our minds. So a digital fast really will be very needful to rewire ourselves in this day and age. So I've given to you many options, but importantly, you need to do something about it. Ask, pray, ask the Lord, and choose a fast for yourself this Lent season. Thankfully, God has provided all the means, instructions that are needed for all of us, regardless of whatever fast we choose. You can pray and worship in the Spirit. So denying ourselves is uh, one side of the coin. The flip side is to fill our minds, our lives with all the good things, godly things. Why? What can we do? We can worship, sing, pray in the Spirit. This is what will renew our spirits. If the gift of tongues, pray. If you don't have it, ask for it. It will help you to renew your spirit. Meditating, studying the Word of God is what will renew our minds. Right? As the Word of God changes and cleanses our mind, we read it more and more, we digest, we study it in depth. That will help renew our minds. Fasting is a good way to renew our bodies. I share this testimony, not asking to say that you know I'm authoritative on this matter, but when uh, there was a season, I adopted intermittent fasting because I have fatty liver, as many Singaporeans do. It actually helped me to address an area that I didn't know could be addressed, which was my reflux issue. So when I took on intermittent fasting, of course it addressed my fatty liver issue, but eventually it also helped me to overcome my gastric and uh, the reflux issue. So it kind of renewed my body as well. So that's a short testimony how my body was renewed from intermittent fasting. Who knows, some of us really need this kind of fasting to help renew our bodies as well. 
So fasting is really not an end in itself. We fast. When we fast, let's also fill with the good things. For example, in the one hour you're not taking lunch, you can take the time to study God's Word, right? To pray or to catch up with some uh, meaningful relationships. For the time that you're no longer on a handphone, social media, you can read. Maybe some of us have forgotten how to read, <laughs> right? You can also engage others in more meaningful conversations instead of everybody sitting at the table, checking their phone and not talking or eating. Why not put down your phones and engage in meaningful conversations to renew relationships? And for the money, for example, that you save from a cup of bubble tea every day, assuming $5 a day, five days a week, we can save $100 to give a needy cause. So instead of just seeing fasting as self-denial, see also the positive benefits of renewing our lives, your body, spirit, and mind, your relationships, as we learn to submit our bodies to God, our Master. So I want to urge everyone again to try fasting in this season and keep each other accountable. I know what the Bible says. When you fast, don't tell anybody. But the problem is, we don't tell anybody until we stop fasting altogether. Right? So the best is, Keep a small group of accountability partners. Don't need to tell the whole world or whole cell group. Or don't need to put on social media, I'm fasting today. No, please don't do that. But tell two or three trusted brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to try this spiritual discipline for this season, okay, for this part, what I'm going to do. You and I, we keep each other accountable. Small group, two to three, that's fine. All right, so can we try to do that this Lent season? And then the third reason, uh, we're going to fast is to fast for the sake of seeking God. The first reason is for the salvation of others. Second is to learn submitting our bodies to Christ our Master. Third is to seek God, to express our longing for His return. There are many wonderful books out there on fasting, and they're certainly just scratching the surface for today's sermon. But one book that, I have, that has really impacted me is this book by Mike Biko and Dana Candler on the rewards of fasting, experiencing the power and affections of God. When we fast, we begin to touch the heart of God. And there in this book, they speak of the bridegroom fast. Perhaps many of us do not understand this at all. So it's a good opportunity to teach us on this, where we fast as a literal and metaphorical expression of our hunger for God and we long for His return. Luke chapter 5, verse 34, Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while He is with them? The context is this, the teachers of the law question Jesus' disciples, why do your disciples not fast? And so he says, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? No, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And the bridegroom has been taken away from us. Jesus has descended to the Father. He will return one day, but in the meantime, he's absent. And so we fast to long for his return. Let me close with a quote from their book. The grace of fasting is God's answer to our cry for more. Fasting enlarges our capacity to receive truth, accelerates the process of God's truth taking root in our own hearts. It is a God-given way to make room for more of God and therefore an essential component to the age-old question of how do I grow in my love for God? In order to grow in love, our capacity for God must increase. In order for our capacity to increase, we need to incorporate the practice of fasting into our lives. Fasting fuels our experience of God's love. The bridegroom fast is focused on desire. Both understanding God's desire for us means you recognize how much God loves you, at the same time, awaken your desire for Him. Love sickness is mourning for the loving presence of Jesus as the bridegroom God. 
No one can console our lovesick hearts except him. A heart that does not mourn for more of him is a heart that accepts its current state of spiritual barrenness as tolerable and livable. Wow. <laughs> On the contrary, a mourning heart is fiercely discontent. It has a desperate hunger for God. This is the bridegroom fast. I would like to think that the most recent Asbury revival really is God's loving response to their hungry and longing hearts. As I shared with you earlier, the students were praying long before the revival hit and God merely met their desire as it is His desire too. And so for all of us, do we desire to see more of God, more revival in our church, in our nation? This last season, let us learn. Start with the basics. The spiritual discipline of fasting to make our bodies our slaves as an expression of our hunger for our bridegroom God, our dedication to bring the gospel out to seek and save the lost. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for teaching us on the discipline of fasting. For some, it's a completely new area. And we pray for grace you are enable us to apply these truths. For others, it's a reminder, forgive us for forgetting our first love, help us to renew, whether we are young or old Christians, to renew our first love for you by returning to this very simple spiritual discipline of fasting, simple to understand but difficult to live it out. And so, Father, we pray once again, as we meet you at your table later on, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us both a desire and the ability for this spiritual discipline of fasting, for the sake of the loss, for the sake of submission, and for the sake of more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.